0: The first time we try it is when we try it, right? In in and when we are betting all those years of work and sacrifice in seven minutes. That's why we call it the seven minutes of terror. One of the many reasons is that the we haven't done it. Essentially, you we actually, actually it. do it. The computers when we it, do it, but you haven't. Right? Exactly. So then, that's why we are so concerned that it's not going to work. Because if we forgot a little piece of physics, we have a small error in that simulation that doesn't expose our, our mistake, then Mars will tell us about our mistake and it's too late by then.
1: And I, I know that feeling when you work so hard on something and there's an element of luck to it or, or circumstance,
0: but when it hits, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. We are humans after all, you know, with emotions. And sometimes uh, when, when we, after we finish doing all that we can do with our brain, right? then the heart takes over, right? And it starts telling you things and uh, making you lose sleep at night. And then you got to say, no, but wait a second. I know that this is the same as before. And we tested this and we tested and these guys did a tremendous job in there. And I trust them and they worked really hard and I, I saw them doing it. So then you kind of, the brain takes over again and tells the heart, you know, we're gonna be fine. But then when you land, it's all about the heart, right? It's not about the brain.
1: All right, welcome back to your next episode of Yang Speaks, the future of our limited series. I'm your co-host, Zach Grauman. I was Andrew's campaign manager, and now you're stuck with me diving into this limited series on our future. Today, guys and gals, we are talking about the future of space, and it's freaking awesome. So uh, I hope you're excited because you should be excited. We have someone who I don't think ever does any sort of public appearances, but he happened to be a fan of this movement and campaign and took about an hour of his time to give us an inside scoop on the future of space. The man's name is Miguel San Martin. He's from Argentina originally and he is a engineer at NASA, works in the NASA's, he's lead engineer in the guidance control section at NASA's jet propulsion lab, but he is mainly known folks for getting Mars rovers onto Mars, getting the rovers there. And he just got the Perseverance rover, which is the most recent rover we got onto the planet Mars. We talk about the future of space and how this all works with him. We talk about how the rover was built and what it does and what it's gonna do when it's there and how you get it onto the planet. But we also talk about what this means. Is there life on Mars? What are we looking to find when we get there? Why are we doing this? What does the future of space look like? Guys, I learned a ton on this podcast. I don't normally ask for our guests, like deep background, but in this case, I talk about his story because his story and how he went from literally looking at the stars in Argentina to navigating the stars with the Mars rover in the United States is wild. You're going to learn a ton. I learned a ton. We're also going to talk about what is going on in the future of our humanity in the cosmos like this is everything it's so i geeked out a little bit so pardon me for being a bit of a fanboy but i thought this was wild it's so important so tune in guys the future of space only on yang speaks welcome back to Yang Speaks, today we are talking about the future of space, and the goal for this episode is to blow everyone's mind, including my own. Today, I am so excited. I want to welcome the amazing Miguel San Martin, who's an engineer at NASA, best known for his work uh, right now. He's the chief engineer for guidance, the guidance and control section at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab and had a lot to do. With the latest mission to Mars and the Mars Perseverance rover, so Miguel, thank you for joining, sir. It's good to be with you. Good to be with you too. Exactly. The first thing I learned about you is how fascinating your background is. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about you and, and some of the um, how you got to be a NASA engineer.
0: Okay, well, I grew up in Argentina. I was actually uh, I was born in a in in a farm in the old fashioned way <laughs> in the <laughs> In 1959, uh, my family lived in the farm. By the time I was born, we lived in Buenos Aires, but we spent all the vacations, summer vacations and winter vacations in the farm. And for me, that, that was always, a, a, a this was in the Patagonia, and uh, it was always a place where I, I went to dream. I mean, we have a beautiful sc- uh, sky, you know, uh, at night. And my father was a civil engineer, and uh from you know where bill roads in the in the uh, late thirties in the patagonia you know and and in order to to navigate they didn't have g p s right so they used the stars, so he had wow. taken classes on <laughs> uh, uh on you know how to use s- stars to navigate through the Patagonia, so he would teach me at night all the different constellations and the different stars, so I think that that's a little bit where you know my dream started. The other thing is that I was kind of born an engineer, I guess, I mean, I, it was out of my control. That's the way I, I was, I was uh, wired. Um, at very early age, you know, um, I, uh, I loved everything that had uh, electronics and mechanical things, uh, and uh, everything was, you know, I would take apart everything and not, not always put it back together the way it was. And uh, and my father used to you know uh, uh, encourage me all the time with his things. I would buy uh, educa- educational toys uh, at a very early age, and uh, and this was the time of this of 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 Apollo. So I grew up with Apollo. I was ten years old when I saw uh, Neil Armstrong walk on the moon, and I had a you know I saw it live, you know, and uh, had a massive impact, right? And at that point is when I said, oh, I can. I knew I was going to be an engineer. I just didn't know what type of engineer I was going to be and apply to what, right? And uh, that's when I started, well, maybe I can work on this, right? But the thing that sealed the deal for me was Viking. That was the first um, uh, uh, lander on Mars in 1976. And uh, and I also followed that mission very closely. It actually just happened that it was on, on a, a, the the landing of Viking uh, happens when we were at the farm. We used to go on the winter. We used to go for for two weeks, and uh, and it was kind of uh, you, you know, where we would kill two pigs, and then we would make the prosciutto and, and and sausages. And uh, which, by the way, you know, I I I, I used to complain, right? Or here we were, you know, doing this primitive <laughs> stuff, where these other countries are going to Mars, and, and the they're moon, going to Mars, right? yeah. <laughs> but in any case, I I remember following. Um, the Viking project through the BBC at night and, uh, and uh, shortwave. And I remember the night where they said, well, all systems are go. Everything is green and, uh, you know, Viking is landing in a few hours and good night. This is the end of the of the of the of the program. Right. So I I woke up in the, in the next morning and went to the town to to do the usual things that we bought, you know, the, the bread for the day and and the newspaper. And then the newspaper was Viking footpad on the surface of Mars, right? And I said, "This is what I want to do." That's it. I'm done. I, I figure it <laughs> How out. How old were you then? I was uh, 16 years old. So my father at that point said, "You know, the only way that you're going to be able to fulfill your dreams is you probably you need to go do your university studies uh, in the United States, and that will, you know, make it a little easier, perhaps, to to get to NASA and do your things." So, so that's when I, you know. Uh, I I decided that I had to do that. So I finished high school, did my, packed my bags and I came with zero plans. The only plans that I had when I left was to study English as a second language, to do the process of getting accepted in, in, in an American university and Syracuse accepted me. So that was my... My entrance to a uh, university, and I, I did my undergraduate in uh, electrical engineering, and and I did very well. I was summa cum laude, and then I applied to MIT, and they accepted me. So that's where I got my graduate degree in aeronautics and astronautics, and that that opened the door to to NASA because essentially I study with professors that worked on the Apollo project.
1: Let's talk about when you first get to NASA. What what are the first couple things you started to work on? I feel like there's so many space projects that happen. I mean, look, we barely talk about the Mars rover, I guess is what's bothering me. Um, and I'm sure there's so many cool things you've worked on that people are just unaware of. What did, what did you get to do?
0: I arrived not in the best time to arrive because uh, they were working on, on a mission, a huge mission called Galileo that, uh, uh, that orbited uh, Jupiter. So they were at the end of, of Galileo uh, uh, you know, development. And so I kind of missed the party you know it, it was a little too late, and there was nothing in the horizon at that point right so um uh, but what I did is i you know I started getting memos and learning about Galileo, so I learned you know tried to, to you know all the experts were there i mean the world experts on this stuff, so I was trying to extract all the information that I could in preparation for when the big opportunity came in. I worked in a couple of of missions uh uh wonder was uh, it was actually an earth. Orbiting missions to study the the altitude of the of the oceans, you know. Uh, and actually, that that mission, uh, even though it didn't go to Mars, uh, it was a pioneer in, the, uh, in in doing studies about the uh, La Niña and El Niño currents, ocean currents. My first big break was Cassini. Uh, that was a huge mission uh, to orbit at Saturn. So that was really my first contribution on a product that actually was carried on the spacecraft. It was a, it was a piece of Software and algorithm to determine. Guess what? I, I worked on a piece of software that determined the orientation of the vehicle relative to the stars. So I, I kind of like closed wow, circle with the way circle, my father yeah. used to navigate in the Patagonia. So that was pretty cool. And um, yeah, okay. so then so that was my big big first break for me. And and then right after that, uh, you know, actually we were in the middle of developing Cassini when uh, when my boss called me to his office and said, "Look, there is this." new mission to go to Mars, it's, it's called Mars Pathfinder. They don't have any money to do it. Some people think it's not gonna work, it's gonna use this airbag concept, so it was not going to like like Viking, right? So that was kind of, you know, a little of a shock, you know, because for, for me, Viking was everything, right? So, so what do you mean you don't want to land like Viking? No, it's too expensive, so we're gonna use the airbags. Okay, fine, you're still gonna land on Mars. Viking, it was considered in, in the 70s, the robotic equivalent of the Apollo project. Today, Viking would have been a $6 billion plus mission, right, so that, it was that big, right? They had to invent everything. <clears throat> they had to, you know, how to land on Mars. I mean, it's, we're still using, you know, pieces of the Viking, like the parachute design is still a Viking design for all our rover missions since then. So they had to uh, uh, actually develop computers for space, you know, sophisticated computers to be able to land on Mars. So uh, and so, it was a soft lander. Was by soft lander, we mean that vehicle actually, the you know, enters in contact with the ground at a low velocity. Or, you know, lands on legs that have shock absorbers just to, you know, uh, 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 to soften the impact of landing. Right, but it comes at, at very low speeds. Uh, but that requires very sophisticated navigation components and and and. Uh, like a radar to compute the velocity of the vehicle relative to the ground, and engines that you can throttle, so you can, you know, uh, like like the accelerator in your car, you can regulate the thrust, and and land softly. When when, Vi- when Mars Pathfinder comes in, right, it was part of the faster, better, and cheaper mantra of NASA. They told us take more risks, uh, and uh, and make it much cheaper. So the <laughs> okay. The, thought was at that point that trying to do a soft lander like Viking would cost too much money because you have to develop all these, even though those things were invented, you know, 20 years before, just resurrecting all that technology where it cost so much money, we didn't have it. So my colleagues and friends now uh, 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 from mechanical engineering said, well, maybe instead of having all these complex and, and expensive a navigation equipment we can just land on an airbag and let it bounce <laughs> so that was the idea so in some ways uh, uh, try to minimize uh, the the use of the techniques that i am uh, I'm a, an expert right because i actually i am uh, my area is about using sensors and, and actuators to control the vehicle right it was robust if you land on top of a rock right i mean if you if you land with a legged lander on top of a rock you can actually break the lander or, or, or topple it, right? I mean, ends upside down. An airbag system is more robust to the uncertainty in the terrain, you know? So that's what we did. And then we, uh, that's, that was the invention of the airbag lander uh, system that then we use for spear and opportunity.
2: With Helix, better sleep starts now.
1: Let's talk about going from point A to point B. How do you, in like layman's terms, like high level? Because I know you specialize in like the navigation of these projects. Um, but I think you have an interesting perspective: is how you go from Cape Canaveral, wherever we're launching from um, NASA, to landing on a crater on Mars. And the the simple analogy I was looking at was like, because the planets are orbiting both around the sun, it seemed like, imagine if you're a human being riding a merry-go-round and there was another merry-go-round that circled your merry-go-round and you were trying to toss an egg to somebody as you were moving, who's moving at a different speed, and then they had to catch it perfectly. Can you walk us through how you go from launching something here and to physically landing on Mars?
0: There are different technologies, but let's talk about the one that is more, the most common, right? Uh, Where it's very impulsive. It's actually, uh, it is similar to what you're saying. So imagine you have a rock in your hand and then you have a moving platform, a car, it's kind of violent analogy, but let's just assume that I want to hit a moving uh, car with a rock, right? So um, you will have to uh, try to guess the velocity of the, of the vehicle because you need to throw it where the, the car where is not going to be,
2: yeah.
0: right? And uh, so you have to calculate how long the rock is going to get to where the vehicle is and where the vehicle is going to be by the time it arrives, right? So and but once that rock leaves my hand, I'm done, right? There's no way to to correct it. So you have to do all your calculations by understanding where everything is and what velocity, right? So so the equivalent of the rock is the launch vehicle. The, the you know that lands that that you know, in a rock it takes a fraction of a second. In a in a launch it takes minutes, maybe ten minutes, right? And but it's the same thing. That rocket is going to put you in a. Trajectory, it's gonna throw you in a trajectory that at that point Mars is not there. Actually, you're gonna throw it such that at the right moment Mars is gonna uh, run over it's you. It's like a
1: quarterback throwing to a receiver, right? You gotta throw with exactly. Going.
0: Yes, you have to, and he receives. He throws it where the guy is not, right? And uh, except that the receiver is looking at the ball and is trying to intercept and Mars doesn't care. Mars doesn't care. Yeah, there is a care. Space it back head. It's not trying to, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, so, they're going
1: to keep moving regardless. good point.
0: <laughs> so then the, where the analogy with throwing a rock breaks is that we actually do have the capability of, 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 from the ground, using actually the communication system of the vehicle doubles as a, also a navigation uh, 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 measurement. So by make, making measurements, uh, uh, we can measure the distance and the velocity of the vehicle and also the angle of the vehicle and estimate the trajectory. So now we know because when you throw the the rock through, you know, with the rocket, you don't do a perfect job. So, it, you know, you try to, but you're quite not right, right? So we need to figure out where we are in the trajectory and then we can make small adjustments to those trajectories. So we we have... Like in perseverance, we have five opportunities, right, where we make, which are already pre-scheduled, you know, before we launch, actually years before we launch, where we make those small corrections. The vehicle has a propulsive, propulsive system on board that allows you to Is it just air or
1: gas that you're burning, or what? Um, it's, it's, what it's, changes it's the trajectory? A,
0: it's it's they are little rockets and they are very simple. They are called. It's a, a monopropellant propulsion system. it's just a single fuel hydrazine that when it gets in contact with this uh with this cat bed that you know that they call it that it makes a a chemical reaction that generates heat and gases right so that has a little nozzle and then that pushes you around so so by opening the valves of that system, you create a force right and and then you make that that correction in the trajectory and then you check out again to see whether now are, are we now in the right trajectory no we need another tweak right so we have five opportunities to do that during the flight um and so and slowly we are necking down on the trajectory uh, the the pers- perseverance rovers by the way the navigation was so incredibly accurate that we didn't need the last two corrections really? so you only the three three last we only did three. But
1: you were on. You were on point after the last two. Are you? Why did it? Why is it five? Is it a resource perspective? Is it how much fuel or
0: energy you have in the in the, you know, the rover itself? Why? Why five? It, but I mean, it, it's it's a, it's an optimization. You want to try to minimize the fuel, okay, and then you want to maximize the accuracy of the delivery of the trajectory, mm-hmm. and you try to keep it simple, right? I mean, every time that you do these maneuvers it's an opportunity to screw up, right? And, <laughs> and, and make That's a good it point. Be, more things to go wrong, yeah. It might, more things to go wrong. So we actually, for each one of these maneuvers, the reason why we didn't do the last two, right, was because we have criteria to say, are we close enough? We don't have to be perfectly on the trajectory. So we have a criteria that said, no, this is close enough. Therefore, yeah, we could make the maneuver and make it even better. But better, you know, you, know, you could actually shoot yourself on the foot by deciding to do something that you didn't have to, and you might end up worse off, right? So then, uh, it's just very disciplined. We are always measuring risk, right? Uh, risk against risk, right? Risk of not making the correction with risk of making the correction. I mean, there's a lot of money involved, right? We have billions of yeah. dollars and the And time,
1: and time. It's what, and so it takes time. seven months, right? Seven months it's, right now
0: or so? Yes, and it takes six to eight years of sacrifice just to attempt one of these things, right so imagine the sacrifice of all these people, their families right that evaporates because of the bad decision so um, so that's how we navigate so and also we obviously we not only we are concerned about the tra- trajectory of the vehicle, but the orientation is very important because we have solar arrays, so they need to point towards the sun, and then the antenna needs to be pointed towards the earth that's why we need this system that by looking at the sun direction and the stars can figure out its orientation. So, what so if the stars is Canopus is there, Sirius is there, therefore Earth is in that direction. So, that is that control of the orientation and the control of the translation. That's what we do during, during the, the, the trip to Mars, in addition to always checking that all the systems are working and the system that we're gonna need for the, the landing. Are, are going to be ready to operate, and they are all calibrated. So, so those are the activities that we do during the, the cruise phase. That's what we call it: the, the trip from Earth to to
1: Mars. So it starts on a rocket, and then the rover is still attached to some form of ship as it's in the cruise phase, right? Like it's still... that's right.
0: It's in, in an aeroshell, which is like it's like a capsule, right? Because the there are three phases of, of of deceleration when we arrive to Mars. When we arrive to Mars at a 15,000 miles an hour, when we arrive to the, the upper layers of the atmosphere, <coughs> and there are three, three um, stages of slowing down, right? The first stage is just simply this capsule uh, enters the atmosphere, and, uh, and just simply because it's, it's wide and it has a large area, with the friction with the air, right, it slows down, just like if in a car, you know, if you're driving a car, don't do this, kids but if you put your hand you're going to feel a resistance right that uh that 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 is pushing it's just the, the 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 you know the drag of your hand through the flow of the of of the wind right the same with that but much higher velocities and that friction generates a lot of uh, heat so you're you're changing kinetic energy which is the energy of motion with thermal uh, energy right so you need a heat shield that can actually protect the, the spacecraft from that huge, you know, thousand degrees of, of, of heating, right? So that's the first stage. 99% of all the energy, you, you, you lose it in that first stage. So then we open a parachute, a, a supersonic parachute, and we all know how parachute works. And, uh, and that slows you even more, but you, you still, because the atmosphere of Mars is so tenuous, r- r- it's only 1% density compared to Earth. So the parachute, so even with a nice, big parachute, you know, 21 meter parachute, you're still coming pretty fast, like 200 miles an hour, right? So you need a third phase, which is when you get rid of the parachute and now you have these uh, engines, you know, that, uh, and then you, propulsively, you kill the rest of your velocity and you land softly just like Viking did. All of this is totally automated and uh, there's too many minutes, you know, it takes too long for to send uh, like seven minutes. Oh, so this to, is like time.
1: This is because... Yeah. How long does it take for a message to get to the rover from Earth? Yeah, about right seven now? minutes. Okay. So that's too long. Given and seven minutes time, back,
0: right? Landing. So yeah. actually, when, when we get the telemetry that the thing is about to land, it actually should, it already landed. So uh, we don't okay. think that You're we You're celebrating seven we, minutes later. <laughs> exactly. Well, but it. it's weird to think like, oh, you know, the, the dice have been tossed. It's just mm-hmm. we don't know the answer yet. And uh, and uh, so we, I mean, we are used to now thinking that reality is what we see, right? So right. we kind of not think about that other stuff. <laughs>
1: How many times do you simulate this before? I'm assuming thousands, wherever it is, or, and, but like um, how do those simulators work? And are they are you like practice landing in like the middle of a desert um, or do you have like a like a I'm thinking like a movie studio or you can uh, like a big warehouse where you can adjust the, the atmosphere in there to test? How do you guys practice
0: for this? OK, well, let me tell you what we don't do. <laughs> Uh, what, what we can do, because it 's too difficult, too expensive, and not 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 worth it, is to try to 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 exercise that that whole sequence here on earth the The conditions on earth of atmosphere and gravity are so far off we don 't okay, even so it's try. worthless it's worthless it's expensive so the best we we do right the worst we can do and what we do is first of all, for each component. Of, of this system, we do tests, right? Like for example, for the parachute, we do a test that try to mimic the conditions when we open the parachute as much as we can, right? To make sure that it's the right design and it's, and it's built properly too. And the same with the landing radar. We put the landing radar in a helicopter and we try to replicate the conditions that the radar is gonna see on Mars and we fly through the Mojave Desert and there are different terrains, you know, different velocities, and then and then we process the data from those tests, and we uh, uh, we build mathematical models of 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 that component for each one of these components that we test separately, we build mathematical models and then we put it in in a simulation right all those mathematical models we put them together, and then we make the system land in a simulation right where we model all the components and also we had to model. The Martian environment, like where we're landing, we're gonna get winds, and the the atmosphere density is changing, right? And the the places where we don't know exactly where things are, which is we don't know anything exactly, we actually statistically we add noise, we add we add, we add errors that we that try to envelop the uncertainty and the error in each component. Like for example, the 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 winds we don't know exactly, so we add a, a, a random component to the winds. And then we, we use a, a technique called Monte Carlo, which is from the Monte the casino. So it's actually, it's after that, which essentially, because it's statistical, where we make the system land thousands, if not tens of thousands of times in the simulation. And then we look at statistically which one landed properly and which one landed, you know, failed, right? So statistically we can say, well, 99, you know, 9% of landed, okay, but then, you're good. And sometimes, no, here there are, you know, we are only having success with 90%. Okay, what is that 10% that is not working? I said, do we have a deficiency in the, uh in the, uh on the uh simulation or, or just simply uh, the design is improper so we need to go fix the design? Uh, uh And so that's, that's what we use. That's the best we use. That's why we call the seven minutes of terror, one of the many reasons is that the, we haven't done it. Essentially, you we actually, actually do it, it computer we do it. it. But you haven't. Right, exactly. So then that's why we are so concerned that it's not going to work because if we forgot a little piece of physics, we have a small error in that simulation that doesn't expose our our mistake, then Mars will tell us about our mistake and it's too late by then. Right? So it's... And... Uh, so that's that's why it's so so unnerving. It's just the fact that we, we the first time we try it is when we try it right in, in in and when we are betting all those years of work and sacrifice in seven minutes.
1: And I, I know that feeling when you work so hard on something and there's an element of luck to it or or circumstance, but when it hits, it's it's the best feeling in the world. Have you worked on projects that have gone the other way?
0: I was never involved in, in, you know, working in it. I've I've always, you know, I've I've been consultant in in one of them, I guess, that did not work. But uh, all the ones that I've worked on have worked. So I've been successful. And it's actually kind of, I mean, I'm trying to still explain to myself why. I mean, I was very nervous the day of the landing and it had nothing to do in terms of not trusting the The engineers working on it in this one, uh, some of them, you know, uh, my friends, and and had tremendous respect for them. But I was very nervous, and maybe it's because we, you know, there are many reasons. When maybe one was simply, you know, we just been so lucky. We've been very successful landing these rovers. Is our is our luck going to run out at some point? I know, <laughs> I know, it's not a very scientific way of thinking, right? But we are humans after all you know, with emotions, and sometimes uh, when when we, after we finish doing all that we can do with our brain, right, then the heart takes over, right, and (laughs) it starts telling you things and making you lose sleep at night, and then you have to say, no, but wait a second, I know that this is the same as before, and we tested this, and we tested, and these guys did a tremendous job in there, and I trust them, and they worked really hard, and I, I saw them doing it, so then you kind of the brain takes over again and tells the heart, you know, we're gonna be fine. But then when you land, it's all about the heart, right? It's not about the brain.
1: It's room of emotional emotional scientists <laughs> and engineers, which I love. Um, I think that's what's so, you know, I don't know, endearing about it, frankly. Uh, let me back up, like, what what is the um, the purpose of the Perseverance Rover, which just landed? It landed in Feb- February 18th of 2021, just um, a couple weeks ago. What what's the end goal for NASA and for for us to to get from
0: this rover on Mars? All of these missions have multiple goals, but there are some main goals. The main goal here is in the the, the previous rovers, right, from Pathfinder to Curiosity. There the object they are all associated with the with the goal of determining whether there was life on Mars three point five billion years ago, four billion years ago, when the conditions of Mars where you know were very different it was a, you know uh, they had an atmosphere it was a, 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 a have oceans and lakes and um, and uh, it was a warm planet and very similar to the same con- to the conditions of earth at that time where on earth life was starting right so the question is well if the conditions were there then there's a chance that life actually also uh, uh, originated on mars at the same time, then Mars changed, right, became, lost its atmosphere, became very dry and cold, right? And, uh, but the question is, during that time, did life, uh, you know, originated on Mars? And uh, and that's a, a question, a very important question that the scientists, uh, not just the scientists, but, right? I mean, the philosophers, everybody wants to know whether we are alone in the universe. Is Is life just a pure, terrestrial phenomena, right? And, and, and that's it, right? I mean, it's, it's a very difficult, the conditions have to be perfect, incredible, and, and only happens in the whole universe, only happening on Earth, right? It's probably unlikely that that's the case, but it would be awesome to prove that that's not the case just by showing within our solar system that life actually t- took hold in more than one place, right? So that's why we're interested on Mars. Now, the previous missions after Curiosity, the main objective was not detecting life itself. It didn't have the capability, the instruments to do that, but to detect whether the conditions uh, for life to uh, uh, to originate on Mars happen uh, uh, in the in the distance pars- past, right? So one of them was finding water that stayed state- uh, Which in it did, right? State found the right- evidence that water did exist, right? And they found, checked, you know, water exists, you know, right pH, so not too salty, not too acidic. Wow. Perfect for life, you know, and, and, it, and it lasted millions of years, which is time is always important in the recipe of life. All of the things are were there. So now now with Perseverance, we need to go answer the, it's time to answer the final question. Okay, cool. But was there a life or not, right? And Perseverance is going to try to do that in two ways. One, you have instruments on board, more sophisticated instruments that work in a different way than the, the previous uh, to to look for, they call it biosignatures, which are, you know, again, to non-expert like me, th- they are indirect evidence that, that, you know, of minerals and the way they were deposited that were the action, most likely, the action of biological, uh, 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 you know, processes, right? So that's, and that's what we call biosi- biosignatures. Detecting life on Mars is very difficult, right? But trying to find biosignatures, it's it's the best we can do at this point.
1: Why is detecting life so difficult? There,
0: it's life itself. The definition of life is difficult, and uh, and it's not you know it seems that it's not uh, uh, you know and it's not an easy you know it's controversial thing, right? So the best way to to but and also because being the being able to say there was life on Mars or be able to say we know a place that there was life that is not earth is such a huge statement that the amount of proof you need is is overwhelming right so the second way that uh, perseverance is going to help is it's going to take these samples of soil and <clears throat> and rock encapsulate them in, the, in these cylinders and uh, and and uh, seal them such that another mission that we are working on it, called Mars Sample Return, is gonna take these samples and bring them back to Earth. Now, here on Earth, we have all the instruments, sophisticated instruments, we can make the measurements, argue the scientists with, you know, and, and now you can have, you know, we, we feel that if there, if there, you know, if there was life fossils in, that, in, in those samples, we'll be able to come up with a scientific consensus. Right? And, uh, and try to do bringing those instruments to Mars is very, very difficult. It's much easier to bring a piece of Mars to the instruments on earth. So that's the second uh, way that Perseverance is gonna help answer this question.
1: I watched a lot of the videos of this thing that, that the at least the public videos from NASA and the bells and whistles on this rover are pretty remarkable. Oh, Where there's, mm-hmm. it, it's got microphones so we can sound from Mars for the first time. It can drive itself. Um, it's got a helicopter on it to yes, travel further cool. if it needs to. Super and cool. it can drill in, get samples, and then you're gonna give them. You're gonna propel them up to another rocket ship at some point to send them home. What else, so what, like in that context, like please, please tell me more what this thing can do, but also what is it gonna be, I know it landed in a crater, like what is it gonna be doing um, for the next number of, I mean, I guess, however long it's, it's going to be there, number of years, I guess.
0: Uh, another I- interesting uh, contribution that Perseverance is, is gonna do uh, is uh, it carries an instrument that is gonna take the, uh, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and uh, and extract the oxygen, okay, and that is just to prove the concept that that we can actually generate oxygen from the Mars at- atmosphere for astronauts in the future and f- for for breeding, But also, you can it's part of the, the 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 fuel you know to come back home. So 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 that's going to be an experiment, uh, and as, and also as you mentioned, it's going to have a helicopter, which is also an experiment. It's it's not. Part of the main scientific goal of the mission, but it's you know once in a while we like to do experiments to you know to enable future missions, right? That then will be dedicated to 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 using a, a helicopter for scientific purposes. Uh, flying a helicopter on Mars is very challenging because of what I just told you before that the atmosphere of Mars has a density of only one percent. So a lot of people thought it was impossible, but an engineer did the calculations that you can. Is you know it's it's, it's not simple. It's, it's really hard, you know, and adapting all the equations and all the dynamics of helicopters to the Martian conditions was a fantastic job done by a bunch of, you know, very talented engineers at JPL and around the, the nation. And uh, so that's going to prove that, the idea is to prove that concept, right? So then in the future, we can design missions around that. So, um, and as far as, you know, the activities, I mean, why they picked that place, right? At Jezero Crater is because, it, you know, like we said before, Water is important for life, and they believe that in that crater uh, there's there was a river you know you know again billions of years ago that that brought waters into that lake and in the process uh, carry with it you know sediments that accumulated in the and form a delta right uh, and the, that delta uh, that you can actually see in the pictures. Right and uh, and uh, could contain the they the, they're very good the materials the, the 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 geology of of deltas are and the materials are very good at preserving evidence of life if there was life, right? So it's a perfect place to go take these samples right and increase the probabilities that the sample contains that evidence those fossils of life when we bring them back home.
1: They've said that the samples should be ideally back to Earth by 2031. So we got a ways to go. How long is Perseverance the rover expected to be there? And do you just keep it there forever until there's a storm or something that wipes it out, or is there a, a finite end date?
0: All, all our missions, right? When we we negotiate the mission with with NASA, right, or we define it. Let's not use that word negotiate. That we define the mission. NASA says this mission in in, in the approval process, right? Uh, they there are you know, objectives, scientific objectives, and and, and 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 engineering objectives, and one of them is the duration of the mission to be worth doing, right? Uh, and, and and in this case, is one Earth, uh, Martian year, which is about two Earth years. They feel that in that time they can do fulfill all the scientific objectives. Now, for us engineers, that means that we need to design a vehicle that lasts at least two two years, but usually it lasts for much longer, right? So. Uh, the the Spirit and Opportunity rovers were designed to last three months. That's that's what was required of us, and they lasted uh, many, many, many years. I think uh, Opportunity, I think it lasted like ten years. So chances are that Curiosity and Perseverance, you know, unless there is a major catastrophe that we not anticipate, each um, uh, uh, sh- they should last, you know, uh, ho- hopefully a decade, right? But again, the the in order to be able to call the mission a success. 100% success. It needs to last two Earth years, approximately. What
1: does it start to look like? Like, let's say, well, let's talk about the future a little bit in a sense that let's say we do find like absolute proof that there's life on Mars, right? Like, we find evidence, we find fossils, you find evidence of conditions that were like objectively, this is where, you know, there was green grass here and whatever it is. What, um, how does that affect NASA? How does that affect your funding how does that what do you think the world starts to to think of your work if that if that happens
0: well, I mean it would be a tremendous news by the way I think it would would be one of the you know people would study in the books right This is the first time you know a thousand years from now right people would be reading books studying books, and saying this is the mission that made it happen right I mean it would be documented in history right the uh uh and the same way the first time men walked on the moon, right? So, so it would be, I think it would be that big. I think that there was still going to be a lot of answers, right? A, a lot of things that they're going to, again, this is beyond my field of expertise by a lot, but I would imagine they would try to see, okay, it's life and was it was similar to Earth. I mean, it's the DNA. Or I mean, I'm not sure that they, they will be able to answer those questions, but they're going to try to, I imagine, to try to pin it down. And, um, uh, but you know, studying, astrobiology, which is the science of of understanding whether life happened uh, anywhere outside Earth, uh, is known to end up there, right? I mean, uh, uh, the the other question, for example, I mean, some people believe that this life, let's say that there was life on Mars 3.5 billion years ago. Chances is that on the surface, you're going to find fossils, right? Because it's very, very um, hostile environment, the surface of Mars with the radiations or some chemistry in the surface that is practically sterilizing, kills it. Right. But some people think that that life could have adapted and now is in the subsurface. So it's possible that is there might be life there. So then there would be missions to now try to drill and you have to drill for hundreds of meters. Right. And uh, and uh, to 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 actually test the hypothesis. Right. So that would be a brand new, uh, 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 you know, uh, set of missions that you could do that. Uh, also, I mean, there are other places on uh, our solar system to study life and, uh, and uh, for example, Europa, which is a moon of Jupiter that uh, 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 below a, an ice crust, there is a, a, a liquid ocean. So there's actually liquid water today on, on Europa. So it's possible that in those liquid o- oceans, you might have life and one per- it maybe it could be even more advanced than just microbes, right? So there's plenty of, uh, of of uh, you know if if well you know being able to check and say yes life happened somewhere else. There's still a lot of research that you can continue doing. And NASA is not all about finding lives elsewhere, right? We want to understand how the solar system formed, right? And um, and uh, and the different galaxies. So there, we we have plenty. We just started, right? I mean, that's, we still have a lot of things to answer about. About the about the universe.
1: In your opinion, like how far away are we from sending humans to Mars or humans to you know bringing manned missions to some of these places?
0: It's a good question. I don't know exactly. I mean, uh, NASA's plans right now uh, is to go back to the moon, right? I mean, in, in this decade. I mean, the, the original plan under the previous administration was twenty twenty four. You know go back with uh, astronauts, the first woman on, on, on the moon, like 24, uh, probably that not, you know, that that they get moved to, towards the future, but hopefully still within the short term. And uh, and the idea is now to go back to the moon not, and not do what Apollo did. It's just putting, you know, the flag and footprints and take a few pictures and come back. I mean, they did a fantastic job. They did some science too, but, but uh, the Apollo project was, you know, more of a, cold War political right. National you know, uh,
1: pride uh,
0: contest yeah. right so the idea now is to go back to the moon and stay and not only stay but also learn to live of the uh, of the resources in the moon right the moon has you know that in in the poles has ice right in the South Pole so the idea is to 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 have access to that ice to again to convert that into uh, oxygen and, uh, and 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 f- fuel I mean and uh, Separating hydrogen and oxygen, you you make fuel, and uh, so because the idea is when we go to Mars, we're going to have to use those techniques, right? And and the best thing would be to exercise living off the land on the Moon before we actually attempt to go to the Mars Mars, where uh, we're going to have to. It's it's so expensive to 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 bring cargo to Mars, so that if you had to bring your fuel from, your return fuel, you have to bring it from Earth, right? It, it makes it very difficult. So it would be better to actually, like it's illustrated in the movie, The Martian, they do, they illustrate it very well, right? That you actually send a, a factory of fuel ahead of time and you only send the astronauts, right? Later uh, uh, when the module for return with fueled up is ready to come back. So that's kind of the plan, but the idea NASA is first to do it on the moon but you know there is like other uh, companies like uh, SpaceX that they feel that they can do that much sooner. As for NASA, this, we're talking about end of the, the, the next decade. Uh, Elon Musk wants to do it sooner. And, uh, and I, I hope <laughs> the sooner the better but for all of us, right? But it is a very difficult problem, right? It's, it's go putting humans on the surface of Mars and return them safely is it's it's tens, if not hundreds of times more difficult to do it on the moon. So that's that's all we, also because we haven't done it. You
1: yeah, have SpaceX and uh, whatever Jeff Bezos company. How are these some of private Lords. attempts at being NASA? Yeah, how how have they uh, have they changed the way you guys operate? Have they made your life easier, better, more complicated? How's that dynamic on your end?
0: People think that, that that we that NASA competes with them and they don't realize that it's, it's, it's but that that's not the case. On the contrary, you know, we 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 uh, we have a, a relationship where we we help each other in some way, a symbiotic uh, relationship, and we want them to succeed. Uh, like, for example, uh, you know, the, the the commercial cargo and commercial crew program to carry uh, um, uh, uh Provisions to the space station and and astronauts, right? That's that's something that NASA started, right? And uh, and have this public private private partnership with, uh, uh, for example, with SpaceX, and now for crew uh, Boeing, and um, to to try to reduce the cost of doing that, and that has been a, a tremendous success, right? To, it has been such a huge success that now they are applying the same. Uh, formula right uh, to the human landing system, which is the the the, the part of the Art- Artemis program right that brings the astronauts from Orion, which will be in orbit around the moon to the surface and back right. So that is being de- uh, uh, you know uh, developed that program uh, using the same uh, 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 type of you know relationship with the private sectors that that they they are using to. Bring material and and astronauts to the space station, where the, these private companies actually they 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 render a service for NASA, right? So NASA doesn't take possession of the machine. It's almost like you're paying for you know I'm gonna pay you to put these astronauts on the surface and then bring them back to to Orion. And they can do it cheaper theoretically, or um, in partnership, right? Exactly, and and actually they can sell that service to other people, and and actually they they are required these companies to also. Make their own investment in this right because they want to own the intellectual property so also to put some skin in the game right so you want to them to put skin in the game so it's a it's a new way of doing things where we all win right it's not like not so, not, you know this is fun, this is what we want We want also the price the, the cost of the launch vehicles to come down because our our missions we, we, you know we contract out to the private sector our launch vehicle the the, the rockets that get us in our way. The cheaper those rockets are, right? Uh the the more missions we can do, right? So so it's it's all good. I mean this is it's exactly and, and actually we in, in NASA we 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 try to facilitate as much uh you know that our you know intellectual property we develop within NASA that we transfer that to the private sector. That's that's what we do. That's what we actually like doing. I love I love that. Uh so
1: what what scares you? Does anything scare you about where this could be going? Like anything that kind of keeps you up at night about the future of space or the future of Mars exploration?
0: This reducing the cost, right? I mean, sometimes you, you, no, it's not that you take more risks, but you need to be very clever at, at, you know, at cutting the things that are not useful, right? That are adding bureaucracy, but not safety, right? So you have to do surgery, you know, cut the, you know, Cut the fat, but don't cut the muscle, sort of thing. And is it possible that we overdo it, right? And uh, and we have an accident, right? And, and 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 that that could put some throw some cold water on the whole thing, right? And uh, uh, so we have to be very careful, right? I mean, it's good to reduce the cost, but we should make sure that we don't try to do so much that that we compromise safety. No, NASA is all over it. They, you know, they're managing that. Right. But but that's that's that is a, that that's the tricky part.
1: NASA to me is one of few government organizations we have that actually is forward looking, which means by definition, it's optimistic. We're investing in our future. What is exciting you 10, 20 years from now? What would be the perfect outcome? What would get you really excited about the future space?
0: First of all, I, I would love to see humans. On the moon again, right? I, you know, we waited so long for that, right? So that is—I uh, mean—I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I'm looking forward to to bringing those samples back from Mars, right? I mean, that's going to be fantastic. Imagine, you know, you know, seeing this piece of Mars that you know that uh, that were brought up with all these machines, all these robotic machines, and uh, we've been t- working and talking about this for decades, right? And uh, so that excites me a lot. And there are there are there are so many missions, you know. As I mentioned before, this uh, uh, Europa lander Europa mission, you know, to put a package of of scientific instruments on the surface of Europa is super exciting. And uh, we we would like to do a mission like that. We're waiting to see what are the priorities in NASA. You know, we, there's a process where they choose the priorities for the future missions. And I'm hoping that that's one of them. Uh, I think that it would be a very cool. Place to go visit, you know. Imagine landing in a foreign place like that, right? The more places we land, because I mean, I think that we as humans, we we like to project us, right? I'm in the surface of Mars or in the surface of the Moon or the surface of uh, of Europa. You know, what would if we were standing there and we looked around, what it would look like, right? So I I think that there is there is still a lot of that to do, and uh, and explore, and it's very exciting. To also to see so many young kids now getting into this, right? I mean, when you go visit um, the uh, SpaceX plant, in, you know, in Hawthorne, here in, 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 and it's, they're all young, you know, and, and, and it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I think that we're going through a, a great period of space exploration, and there are more players. Uh, there are other countries too that are, are, are also, you know, expanding their activities and um uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of you know f- uh f- finally i think we're seeing the explosion that we wanted to see a few decades ago is is happening and it's kind of like a, a it's taking its own life right that's that's uh, uh that's the thing that is exciting it's uh, not it's no longer the 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 you know the the big governments that are have to be pushing and pushing and putting money it feels like finally we we let, we lit a fire and the fire is just going right and and uh, and that's all good.
1: I think about that a lot. How many little boys and girls watch your video of it landing or have looked at Elon Musk and what SpaceX is doing or even Jeff and Blue Origin and say, I, I want to do that. I want to get involved in that. I get, you know, and that is the best part of this future. So here's what we we'll do, Miguel. Well, in 10 years, I'll bring you back. We'll be back on. <laughs> you can tell me, hopefully they will give you a space rock from Mars. I hope they do that <laughs> or a moon rock or something. <laughs> I <laughs> I know, I'm sure they won't, but maybe after they've done all their tests, maybe they'll distribute it up to the yeah. people that have earned it. You have. You would have earned it, sir.
0: Um, I would will, I will, I will be happy with a piece, a grain, just a little Okay, bit grain. you'll give me you grain, just, give a little, yeah, like a, just a little, yeah, like grain. a
1: sliver, some Mars dust. Um, <laughs> but look, Miguel, um, I can't tell you how much on a personal level, Like, I, I think you're a real life superhero. There are people like you doing work that in many ways is unsung and it's unknown, it's behind the scenes, but without you and your colleagues, I know you're, you're, there's a oh, lot yeah. of people in mean, your team.
0: It is a team sport. Let me tell you, this yeah. is a oh. team sport. I mean, there are, I mean, I, there's only sometimes there are faces like, you know, mine lately because of the, 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 the silly <laughs> TikTok that my daughter put. But <laughs> you know, what, whatever works, if it is good to inspire new generations and, uh, and, you know, and, uh, and, and unite us in these difficult times that we're living in these days. Uh, It's true. You were like, you were a source of hope for me. I hope you're a source of hope and inspiration for a lot of people
1: listening. So Miguel, congrats. Thank you. Keep us posted on what you find. Um, If you find aliens, you have my email. You just let me know. I won't go public. I think you'll find out. (laughs)